Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice Empire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Astounded. And I am Sir Jimmy the Pumped. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into a Storm of Swords Sansa 3, and we have a little bit of speculation slash maybe underground news uh, that, that we found on the interwebs about Night of the Seven Kingdoms television show, which is always exciting, and a little bit more context around the Blood Moon show that was canceled, which is going to be kind of cool. But uh, Matt, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing good. You know, it's uh, it's Wednesday, middle of the week. Anytime Jamie and I get to sit down and talk about A Song of Ice and Fire, it's always a good time in Indeed. my book. And uh, yeah, you know, Jimmy, this is actually a chapter with Sansa 3, which is uh, we talked about this, I think, uh, last week towards the end of our episode, just kind of talking about what this episode was going to be about. And this is one of my I love the chapters in the books where you get a major event and obviously in the books it's told through a specific point of view in this case sansa and then you can actually compare it to the show where you actually get more of this in the show it feels like this is actually more of like through Tyrion's eyes you know sansa's mm -hmm. wedding yeah it's actually one of the things i like about the show because in the books even if you have two point of view characters you know Sansa gets point of view chapters Tyrion gets point of view chapters we obviously George only picks one of them and in this case you know that wedding he decides I want to tell this through Sansa's eyes the eyes of being like scared and you know Tyrion's the the imp and now his face has been cut uh instead of choosing to do it through Tyrion's eyes but the show actually kind of goes in the other direction where it feels like the show is actually a little bit more Tyrion's point of view, like the anger towards Joffrey and being humiliated throughout this whole thing. So these are some of my favorite chapters, even though this chapter is actually pretty short. Uh, any chapter where now we get that context of the show, where sometimes they do that, they get that opposite point of view. Man, I, I, I really like these ones. Yeah, I'm always interested to see. And, and to think about why George picked the POV that he picks for certain scenes, especially when it's two POV characters interacting with one another. We've talked a lot about breaking down through reads and trying to find, well, what are all the John chapters? And then we realize very quickly that there are a lot of Sam chapters. There's an Arya chapter, which, you know, there, there's there's more information about John and other POVs at times, especially Bran, which which we found that link. So I like to when we when we do the chapters that involve those two POVs to think, why did George do this? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, um, Jimmy, I'll, we'll start here with just a little bit of news. And this is from a pretty good Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire leaker, which is Westerosis on Twitter saying, HBO's Game of Thrones prequel, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight is expected to begin filming on June 3rd. Don't really have any other details other than that. We know that it's supposed to film at some point this year so as we are beginning you know i'm getting a little further here towards the end of february about to be in march i mean it's got to film sometime so seems like if it begins filming in june probably done maybe august all right september with that like the first i would initial say by september maybe reshoots in september october and then you figure I would say a lot of product uh, post production, though not as many special effects, obviously, because there's not a lot of dragons or like big dire wolves or anything. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance that we see this maybe in you know winter, 2025, or like with January, February, March, maybe. All right, yeah, yeah, like be, uh, Q1 of 2025. I could see yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, um, because we don't know, you know, those other big HBO shows like The Last of Us Part Two, when that's going to come, because mm -hmm. um, that was in like, I believe, January of last year. That was kind of that big Q1 show of last year. So you obviously probably balance it out between those. But yeah, uh, exciting. I did see I think House of the Dragon is doing some reshoots right now. But I think it's like their second wave of reshoots. And a lot of those are like, hey, we need like you to like turn around. You know what I mean? And it's like it's usually like we just need to fix like one second of this scene. It's not typically like, hey, we need to refilm an entire big scene, a big, uh, big production. It feels like that show. I mean, they have their huge rap party and everything. So some of those reshoots are oftentimes it may not even include the main cast. It may just be extras where they're like, hey, we just need, you know, a bunch of 
fans in the stands, you know, cheering or something. Yeah, it's it's pretty common uh, and it, it's not something to be too concerned over. I, I am going to read a little bit more about this Night of the Seven Kingdoms thing because uh, Westerosi's account actually sourced it from Radonian. I might be saying that wrong. Uh, Intelligence.com who leaked like <laughs> set picture, a bunch of stuff. Uh, so obviously none of this is like completely confirmed, but their information has been pretty sound thus far. Uh, so it says, thanks to Production Weekly, we have a new update regarding filming dates of Duncan X series. It seems that filming should now begin in summer 2024 instead of spring as originally planned, June 3rd being the targeted date, which is what people kind of expected. Um, as always, we have to say that these dates are rarely set in stone and are always subject to change, with June being a couple months away still. Even with this slight delay, a 2025 release is still very much on the table, knowing that the season itself will not only be much less complicated than House of the Dragon in technical development, but also shorter. As George R. R. Martin has suggested, it would likely only consist of six episodes. In other Duncan Egg news, you may have noticed a new name there on the grid, and that is Hiram, Hiram Martinez from The Last Ship in Snowpiercer, who will serve as a producer on the show. In any case, we're intrigued to see what comes with the series. Uh, so uh, the one thing I wanted to highlight here, you know, all this is kind of what you were saying. But interesting that George R. R. Martin has said that it's probably going to be shorter six episodes. I actually like this. Uh, as much as I miss television that was 24, 32, 36 episodes long, I wish we'd get back to that. Uh, Duncan Egg, to me at least, feels way more suited for a little bit of a shorter style season. Um, what do you think? Oh, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, for starters, the content that we have, you know, the audiobook for, uh, let's just say, The Hedge Knight, the, the, mm -hmm. the audiobook for the, for all of Duncan Egg is about 10 hours. Yeah. Right. Uh, there are chapters in game in the main series that are an hour long. So, I mean, you could say, and it's typically told in about two parts. So each one kind of has a, if, and if you're reading, like, you know, if you're listening to the audiobook, you've got about like, it's like part one, part two. So they're mm -hmm. all a little around three, you know, hour, three and a half hours. That's not really that much content i would say six episodes a season three seasons of six episodes and then you know who knows are what? they able and then what <laughs> yeah are they able to go on a little bit you know further than that so we also have to see if this resonates with the larger larger viewership um being a much quieter show in tone and not as uh you know messy i guess is the way i would describe it the drama is very interpersonal rather than you know uh warring factions or anything like that so i'll, I'll be very curious I, i'm also wondering if they'll add anything to the show to to increase those things because this is you know modern day television but we'll see uh, i think six is good and i guess the first thing we have to hope is that it's successful and it doesn't get canceled then we can start wondering what happens after season three yeah i mean that definitely is uh you know one piece of the puzzle is it has to not get canceled like blood moon so i wanted to talk just quickly about this because i guess i never really looked into why they canceled it we assumed that hey they canceled it because well um you know it just it wasn't good enough and we also kind of talked about the fact that it just wasn't the right story to tell uh it just you know like how that's why house of the dragon felt like the first this house of the dragon should be the first story if you're going to tell something right mm -hmm. that you that you want to do that or like the blackfire rebellion even duncan egg felt like a better place to go because it's a little bit closer Aegon's conquest which we now know we're getting again this is like your long night you're going into so far uncharted territory <laughs> that not a ton of source material for it yeah, there's not a ton of source material. And then it's just also like Game of Thrones, even if you look at it versus the book series, The Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones is much more about the political, like the politics of it, not as much about the like White Walkers and Dragons as it should have been. And so that's why we've talked about, I think if you wanted to redo this show and you said, hey, let's do it after you introduce the Aegon's Conquest thing. Maybe that'll work because there'll be more dragons or even now there's more dragons. There's prophecy. Mm -hmm. Um and who, we might get teases of the White Walkers and some of the things beyond the. We might see the wall in in the House of the Dragon, which is you know something we didn't necessarily think. So um, that seems to be the case. But um, so I've never really looked into like who the showrunners were and the production and everything. But uh, I wanted to bring up uh, this right now just because I have seen some clips, uh, you know, from it, and uh, it's 
one of the most awful things I've ever seen. So this is SJ Clarkson is who the, I guess she directed the prequel of Blood Moon. And uh, she should also be known as uh, the director of Madam Web, the current new Spider-Man thing. And it, I just like, I was like, maybe I'll watch it. You know, I saw the Venom movies and I don't really know what they're trying to do with that like amazing Spider-Man verse over there with Sony. You know, they have like their their yeah. own Spider-Man things. They own Spider-Man, not connected to Marvel, like the MCU stuff. It's one of the most god-awful things I've ever seen. It's absolutely, it's, that bad? it's so bad. It, I mean, it's worse than Morbius. And Morbius was like, it literally on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like, it's, it's rated lower than Morbius. I, uh, I, so I'm very, uh, I know you are way more into like DC and Marvel stuff. I'm not a fan of it, right. but I know from through the grapevine that it did not seem like the internet very much enjoyed Morbius. So if no, for it to be so bad, right. Honestly, I didn't even know about this, this thing until you had mentioned it. And I, I guess I had heard a couple people talk about it, but yeah. what, what, what's, what is it? Like, I don't understand what it, it's like, like, it's kind of, it's kind of like another, it's another like sub cast of Spider-Man characters see the way like the way it works is sony owns spider-man essentially mm -hmm. um that's uh, to to make it kind of easy they don't necessarily own all the rights to spider-man but they own a good majority of the rights to spider-man and so in order to keep that they have to make spider-man or spider-man themed movies every i believe it's every five years is the way mm -hmm. the contract works so you know they had the original toby Maguire movies and they did and like i hey, want to reboot it with andrew garfield and then they reboot it with Tom Holland, who, but he's a connect connected to the Disney MCU. So they're like, Hey, we're going to like flesh out our old, our middle one with Andrew Garfield. And we made the Venom movies and then they made Morbius. And so they're like doing a Craven the Hunter, which are all these, you know, side, you know, villains or anti-heroes of the Spider-Man verse. And that's essentially what this group is. is and you have like, uh, it's another sort of subset of Spider-Man characters. Um, and it's just god awful i mean like if you just go like on tiktok and watch clips of it and it just seems like the most uninspired thing i've ever seen that's unfortunate yeah so it now it, you know it's one of those things where i don't really know that much else about this director except that she directed this movie i mean maybe the script for both were terrible and it got canned yeah or maybe well, maybe know, there's a link sometimes yeah maybe that, that could be the thing and that's one of the things with directing movies and stuff is once it happens, it's like, maybe that's, maybe that's the connection. Yeah. And to put, and to put it into game of Thrones terms and HBO, which, which, you know, obviously is the home of, of all these adaptations. I won't condemn this director for, for having two duds. It would seem because I don't know all the details and I don't think I'll ever learn all the details of why these things fail, but I think it is a bit, encouraging to know that especially at the height of season eight that hbo was willing to axe something before it hit air because that that could have been a cash grab like they could have been like right it might fail but season one like we're going to get the viewers that we want it'll cause a, a buzz online like very well could have been a good business decision to start now it probably would have killed <laughs> uh, if it was as bad as it sounds it could have killed every a like aspiration for a new show so thankfully it didn't happen but I i'm just saying like it seems like hbo does have some sort of integrity whenever it comes to quality and that has always been the case we always worry that it might change because that's the way of the world it seems but this is in some ways very encouraging that they saw the product. They said, no, no, thank you. Whereas Sony is saying, you know what? That was that was a good idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think, you know, a lot of shows and even, you know, we can we've talked about this before with like Dan and Dave in season eight. Dan and Dave did a great job adapting George's material. Other Otherwise, Game of Thrones would not have become as big of a show as mm -hmm. it did right mm -hmm. towards the end. They made some decisions when they ran out of context that like. We feel like and a sixth grader could have well you know, come up with come up with a you know come up with a better better uh better better way to do it. But I mean, obviously, like they did help get the show to what it is. And then one and then last thing I just want to say here is, if anything, Blood Moon's failure may have actually helped lead to Ryan Condell mm -hmm. getting House of the Dragon. 
and yeah. you know like maybe that's the thing is where they looked at they said you know maybe we that that what didn't go in the direction we want we let's get somebody that like george seemingly handpicked which is obviously what it feels like with ryan condell yeah i hope that we get more information if he has anything to do with this duncan egg show i feel like he doesn't if i'm being honest um i don't know if maybe he'll be like an executive producer type thing where he's consulted i hope uh that that always kind of makes me nervous one thing i will say about dan and dave uh not to bring up old rooms uh, I, I give them a lot of credit for their adaptation, but I don't think it's entirely true that once they ran out is when they started messing up. I think that they actually started changing a lot of things around season, even four, the end of season four, Tyrion's right. conversation with Jamie. That was a them decision, and I think it was a bad decision overall. And then season five, they, I think that they, they flubbed a lot of stuff that they yeah. still did have material for. Like sending Jamie to Dorne, I don't think was a great idea. Uh, right. I guess, so, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess what, the only argument, I guess the, what, the only thing I'm trying to say is obviously somehow these people got Game of Thrones to be like the biggest yes. show in the world. Yes. And they, and it happened when they had the, when they had the content. So, you know, yeah. they were, they were able to, adapt. it's one of those things where we'll never know because the books, the books weren't finished. And if they were finished, then we would have had a different, uh, See, I guess my I have a this thing that I feel like they would have went a different direction either way because sure. they were changing sure. so much about the story sure. and they were like afraid to embrace the more fantastic elements. Now, that's not to say they have a good they were batting like at least 80, 90 percent on adapting the work that was there. So, like, I'm not trying to take credit away from right. them for the first like three and a half seasons, uh, but. It's just online. I see a lot of people be like, you can't even blame Dan, uh, Dan and Dave because it was. No, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. not in that camp. Really. Yeah, they didn't choose to include Lady Stoneheart. Yeah. And the Tyrion decision may be the worst thing. That was like the they, beginning. Did Balon like, Greyjoy in like season six or seven? Yeah, very odd. Um, yeah. And we, we, could, <laughs> we could go on and on and on about their right. decisions. But regardless, you know, I think you're right. I think that Blood Moon having failed was probably HBO being like, we are not going to release something until it's ready and it's competent and it's not going to rehash a lot of the right. mistakes of, of season seven and eight. So I, I'm glad. I'm glad that HBO has that that willingness. Yeah, to I mean, yeah, that's honestly the best part about, you know, a lot of these, as we're hearing more about more projects, Aegon's Conquest and Duncan Egg and all these things, as we're hearing yeah. about more of these things, the best thing about it is that it's in HBO's hands. Yeah, <laughs> is, yeah. Is, the, is the is the best thing to take away with that. Certainly. So with that, let's move over to today's chapter, which we talked a little bit about already. And that is the son is Sansa three, which it is a shorter chapter. But again, there's one of these ones where you get the, the two different point of views, mm -hmm. um, obviously not in the book, but we do have the show to compare it to. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Sansa is dressing in the gown Cersei Lannister had made for her, thinking to herself what it would be like to marry Willis Tyrell. However, her daydreams are shattered when the queen reveals that she is to marry Tyrion that afternoon. Sansa does her duty, realizing there is no way out. Tyrion apologizes to her, saying that it was his lord father Tywin's wish to see them wed. During the ceremony in the royal sept, Sansa does not bend to allow Tyrion to put uh, the cloak over his shoulders, causing embarrassment for the dwarf. At the feast in the small hall, Sir Garland Tyrell comforts Sansa, saying that Tyrion will make a good husband. He is a bigger man than he seems when the time comes to have them bedded. Tyrion demands that there will be no bedding. He has then he threatens Joffrey to keep him from making the tense moment worse. In bed that night, Tyrion realizes that Sansa is petrified at the thought of losing her maidenhood to him, and he tells her that he will not touch her unless she wants him to. So this is, you know, it's one of these chapters and really Sansa, it, it's like, if you go back to a game of Thrones, Sansa doesn't have as many chapters as Arya. Um, I'm pretty sure I might be mistaken on that, but it's one of the, uh, but it's like Sansa appears in a lot of those chapters. And this is the same thing. Like Sansa will appear in a lot of Tyrion chapters. So we've talked about like the reading order where sometimes you have to go through it. And this is one of these ones with Tyrion. If you just read Tyrion's point of view straight through, you would miss out on this chapter. But in a way, this is almost to me, this feels like more of a Tyrion chapter than Sansa's. Um, and you just have to look at that decision by George to say, I want to tell this story through Sansa's eyes, which if you have to pick one of the two, I think like Tyrion is still, you still get a lot of his motives and a lot of his story is carried through well. So I think Sansa is the correct, like it was, it obviously was the better choice. I'm sure he thought about that when he was writing this. It's yeah. Like, 
do I want this to be Sansa or Tyrion? Yeah, and the purpose of this chapter for both of our characters, and one of them being a POV and the other being the bystander uh, from a writing perspective. Uh, I think this chapter does a lot to further my belief that Sansa in many ways is seeing the deterioration of her expectations of what it is to be a noble lady, to have a marriage between two powerful houses. What is obviously the hound is a great example of her figuring out that true knights might not actually be knights. And the true knights that are given to her or shown to her are actually despicable. The ones who are ripping her dress and hitting her and all these other terrible things. And Joffrey, the handsome, charming prince, turns out to be a monster. And now she's being married to what everyone in the realm considers to be a monster. And that's Tyrion with his scarred face, uh, being a dwarf. I think this is just a furthering of this POV from her. And it's important for her because it's going to shape how she sees people and the world later on in the series, which we start to, we start to see in the, in the future books uh, and how she starts to learn how to play the game of Thrones, but also looking at people past their appearances or their expected um, character. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you know, it, it, this is, it's really a, it's really a turning point. It's, this is much more of a turning point for Sansa than, than, than Tyrion. Um, you know, she's, I think she she never really comes out and says it, but I think mm -hmm. if you're as you're reading it, you can begin to see also that she realizes that the Tyrells played her a bit. And yeah, it's it's not it's she doesn't say it and she doesn't even really think it. She does notice that they're not there um, when she's when she's looking mm -hmm. for them. Um, but it, you can almost feel it in her mind as you're reading this chapter that she's like you know beginning to see i think this is one of those another one of those like oh the game of thrones beginning to to see it is that she's really she's she's nothing more than a pawn in this chapter yeah even though there is furthering of the decline of her views of the world as far as like what they should be in a you know medieval fantasy world <laughs> i've always said she's the stand-in for the fantasy reader that had read like all the samey stuff from tolkien on uh and then coming into this where things are very different I think that this is also showing showcasing her character growth and that she's able to actually recognize what the Tyrells may or may not be doing underneath. And then she's being influenced by Dantos as well. Do, do you feel like the Tyrells really are just Lannisters with flowers? Yes, you do. 100%. OK, 100 percent. I feel like there's always been a very cynical view of the Tyrells. And without a doubt, I mean, they're a royal house in Westeros, so they <laughs> They're nuanced at, at, at to say the least, but I've never felt that they were awful. And maybe really? that's oh. because they're helping the characters that I like at this moment. And maybe that's also one of Sansa's realizations that people are going to use you. And if it suits uh, your means of safety, then maybe it's worth it. I actually think the Tyrells are worse than the Lannisters. Now hold the phone. No, Joffrey I'm Baratheon exists. Okay. Come no, on. I mean, Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, you have you have Joffrey, but like, if you look if you look at the Ty the Tyrells are even the Tyrells to me are even more like they're just more slimy, backstabbing than even like Baelish. I mean, for starters, Marjorie or Tyrell marries three kings. Okay, hey, sometimes I mean, sometimes you got to figure it out. Right? <laughs> I mean, literally, I mean, they are jumping, they are flip flopping and jumping ship every opportunity. Mm -hmm. you know that that they get right they say hey we're gonna go with Renly. okay now we're gonna go now we're gonna marry joffrey okay now we're gonna do this and what they do here with sansa i mean literally they're like hey we'll marry you to willis um first you know they could have married her to loris they mm -hmm. could have said yeah we'll marry you to loris tyrell think about how, how no we'll marry you to willis and we're gonna talk up talk him up even though you know, the whole deal is that he's um you know He's, I mean, he's, I guess he's better than Tyrion, but here, I mean, Cersei, when Cer Cersei is talking about this, when she's talking about, oh, you're going to marry that gargoyle. Now, Cersei is talking about Tyrion, but Sansa doesn't know she's marrying Tyrion yet. So she thinks she's still marrying Willis. And she says, um, you know, like, oh, what gargoyle? Sansa did not understand. Did she mean Willis? How could she know? Right. Mm -hmm. So she still thinks that she's going to be marrying somebody that the realm would look down on. Um, but she would get to go to Highgard and they sell it as, oh, well, yeah, but you'll be, 
you'll be in high garden and you'll be a queen and all that stuff. And all they were doing was getting information on Joffrey and how terrible he is. That's all yeah. they wanted. We also got to look at status changes, right? Sansa in a Game of Thrones is something that can be bartered with, right? Like the, the Starks right. can barter her off for a marriage and make strong alliances and whatnot. The, the game has changed. The Starks have, without a doubt, plummeted in favor, uh, even worse so after a storm of swords. So Sansa now is the key to Winterfell. So the Tyrells are offering a marriage and they're providing her. I mean, it is better than Joffrey as far as like being treated. Right. Mm -hmm. But they're really after Winterfell. I, I do think that that's the case. This is a marriage that Ned Stark would have absolutely declined had he still been alive and everything 100%. was back, back to what it was. So from that perspective, you're right. It is slimy. They're kind of preying on her uh, for being in this terrible situation. They are providing her some form of, I guess that's my question. Do you feel like there's any goodness to their motivations at all? Like, do you think that this is something where they really don't want Sansa to be hurt? Or do you think it's purely a power grab and they want to, it's a, it's, it's a power. They're only in it for themselves. So you, so you don't know, think I, they care about her at all. Yeah. And I guess for me, the way I view it is, would you prefer to have somebody like the, like the Lannis tours, who is pretty obvious to like everyone in the realm are, are like kind of, I guess, evil. If you want to, you know, look at it, look at it that way. Um, or do you want that like slimy kind of, you know, do you want that like slimy car salesman who's trying to be your best friend and is pretending to be nice when they're really not? Whereas the Lannisters, like you look at a lot of the moves Tywin makes. I mean, he's just like very firm in what he's doing. I mean, it's pretty obvious what his intentions are, but at least he's like they're much more direct about it. Our apologies to all used car salesmen who listen to the podcast. <laughs> I said slimy, you know, I mean, I'm not saying they're all are. I'm saying there are certainly some. That's <laughs> why so I'm new, Matt. That's so why I'm new. Yeah, even even buying new sometimes it's a freaking uh, Yeah. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. I think in current day Sansa, like where we're reading, I think I would take the Tyrells, man, after being abused and knowing that Joffrey still wants you as his plaything and not feeling safe. Your dad was beheaded there. I, I think I would take the Tyrells, but I do know what you mean for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the, 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 the problem is that we're talking like we're comparing you include Joffrey as part of that, right? As, yeah. as part of the as part of the Lannister grab. And Joffrey is just like, you know, one ultra crazy person. But and he's also I mean, young. Cersei's not nice, right? She, she's no, 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 no. Cer Cersei's not not nice, but she does sort of she does give Sansa like truths. Like she will give she will give her hard truths and say and this is how it is. Like when the Battle of Blackwater is going on, she's I mean, she's straight up with her. Like we might get raided and we're going to and this is what we're going to have to do. Like, because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. So, I mean, yeah. she does. She I mean, she's obviously she comes across as like, the, you know, the evil fairy, you know, or the evil god, you know, the yeah. evil mother, Disney, you know, whatever. That's that that imagery. Um evil stepmother, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Whereas the, the Tyrells may not inherently be like evil, but they still, they're still just in it for their own intentions and they're going to do whatever they do. I mean, think about this for the fact the Tyrells are going to manipulate a young girl who's basically a hostage into doing whatever they want to get, to get their own benefit. So maybe they're no, maybe they're no different, but I guess I, I guess I view the Lannisters, I think more of like, I mean, you know, Jamie, you look at Jamie, Tyrion and Tywin. I mean, they're all just much more direct about it. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, there's certainly something about knowing what you're getting. I think right. just in this situation with what Sansa's experience, she's still better off being used by the Tyrells than the Lannisters. Right. I don't think she'll have to fear for her safety. I think that's yeah. the big thing. I think we, I think, yes, you know, we look at the fact that the Lannisters killed Ned Stark, but at the same time from there, if you look at it from their perspective, Cersei does offer Ned an opportunity not to blow, like to, to go out and tell everyone this whole thing. Yeah, and then they offered I mean, him she, the black, I mean, she, and then he did what they asked and ruined his own honor and lied. And well, I mean, had, and but had he, 
when Ned and Cersei have that first meeting in the in the in the thing, she offers him an out. I mean, yeah, you you you, you wouldn't you should not pursue this any further. Is basically what basically what what she says. Yeah, I guess I guess there's a piece of me that you know they're direct and they say this is the way it is, but I'm always a big person of like pushing back about is this really the way it needs to be? Like, can't we change things? And yeah, I, I mean, like they're, 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 they're both. Yeah, they're both bad evil yeah. yeah they're both bad in, the, in their own right i guess i just i view i guess the lannisters have a little more honor amongst thieves i guess is the you know way i'm trying what to honor they murder <laughs> they do the red wedding they but they but well uh elena tyrell does the purple wedding and she uses sansa as a scapegoat she, well, I don't know if she uses Sansa as a scapegoat. That's a good question. Do you do you really feel that way? Because I feel like it just it it was very unfortunate timing that Sansa left during that. Like a no, lot of time, it's, the, it's the poison in the necklace. Yeah, I guess she did. Maybe she did set up Sansa a bit, huh? Yeah, because if they if they find out the poison and then you know they do an investigation, if Sansa doesn't leave, then she would be the, the scapegoat, and then Tyrion's the one who gets blamed. So they're gonna. View her, view her too. Hmm. Yeah, but everybody's they, they everybody's need a Winterfell though. You know, they don't need they don't need it. Why not? Because then then Mar because then they get rid of Joffrey and then they say okay we'll have Marjorie marry Tommen. Who cares about Winterfell? They've got the crown. Well, Winterfell was in an all out. So so from just like a political standpoint, Winterfell at is that, at, at odds that, with the crown, right? At that point, though. You know, Winterfell is about to be controlled by the Boltons. Yeah, but they're not aware of that. They're, they're not aware of the word at Red I Wedding. So I, I'm just thinking that with Winterfell at odds with the crown, you would think that with Marjorie taking over as queen, and then if you were to say, look, we put songs. The, the Purple Wedding takes place after the Red Wedding. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. Hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's quiet. Now um, maybe, now maybe the plan was, um, maybe the plan wasn't, and maybe it's one of the reasons that the Tyrells aren't there in this chapter, right? When Sansa, you know, works, walks in, she's looking for him, and she can't see him. Maybe their plan is to sort of is by not being there, they can say we didn't know about this, and they can still keep playing Sansa. Maybe they don't. Well, he, he, to be fair, maybe they actually don't know that this and Tywin does it underneath them. But I think not, Tywin 100 is playing the Game of Thrones here. I, I think he is taking it from the Tyrells, and I think it pisses him off. Because here's the thing: do you, here's do, the Tyre, do the Tyrells know about this? About this, I guess, they I guess they found out eventually. But this is Tywin undercutting the Tyrells because he found out that they were planning on marrying her off right into their family so then he marries Tyrion, which Tyrion needs to be married anyways and then that gives him winterfell mm -hmm. so so think about it like this even if joffrey dies and then you have tommen and you have marjorie together if the north is aligned with the lannister lineage with Tyrion, if there were ever a dispute between the tyrells and the lannisters the lannisters literally just have a massive army in the north that can come down that are you know, call the banners. So I think it's still a political play by Tywin to, to, to yeah. marry Tyrion to Sansa. And I think it's a direct competition with the Tyrells, which is hilarious because Marjorie's going to marry Joffrey. So you would think right. that these families, it just shows how messy this whole thing is. Like they, they should be in unison and on each other's teams. When in reality, Tywin's scheming and, and so is Elena Tyrell, you know, two, two of the old heads just going at it. It's kind of awesome actually. Yeah. Let me here, let me let me let me pull up uh, another thing here too because this will tie will tie into it. So uh, from the chapter here, so this is where Sansa finds out she's not marrying mm -hmm. Willis. So you're prettier with your mouth closed, Sansa. Cersei told her, "Come along now. The Septon is waiting, and the wedding guests as well." No, Sansa blurted, "No." Which, by the way, Sansa flat out tells the Queen Cersei Lannister, "No," like. That's a I, that's a, like that's one line from this whole thing that really never gets talked about. But I mean, that's a big like, that's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, flat out. No, I mean, of course, it doesn't go that direction. But like that one little line there is huge in her character development. 
So continuing on, yes, you're a ward of the crown. The king stands in your father's place since your brother is an attained traitor. That means he has every right to dispose of your hand. You are to marry my brother Tyrion. My claim, she thought, sickened. Dantas the fool was not so foolish after all. He had seen the truth of it. Sansa backed away from the queen. I won't. I'm to marry Willis. I'm to be the lady of Highgarden. Please. Now, this is where she, you know, back, you know, falls back into, into the girl. I understand your reluctance. Cry as to if you must. In your place, I would likely rip my hair out. He's a loathsome little imp, no doubt of it, but you marry him, you shall. Uh, you know, and so you can't make me. Of course we can. You may come along quietly and say your vows as be it's a lady, or you may struggle and scream and make a spectacle oh, for the stable boys um, to argue over, but you will end up uh, wedded and bedded all the same. The queen opened the door. Sir Marin Trant and Sir Osmond Kettleblack were waiting uh, with, with, we're waiting without in the white scale and the white scale armor of the King's guard escort lady Sansa to the sep. She told them, carry her if you must, but try not to tear the gown. It was very costly. Sansa tries to run, but Cersei's handmaiden caught her before she'd gone a yard. So this is why Cersei sucks. I'm going to tell you, this is why she sucks. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying she, she doesn't. Is, no, 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 I know, but I'm just even independent of our conversation prior. I just, Cersei is so detestable to me and she is tragic in her own way. There is sympathy to be had for Cersei, I think. However, Cersei being put in a position because she's a woman in this patriarchy and being forced to marry Robert Baratheon and being in this horrible relationship. And now her dad's telling her that she's going to have to remarry and she refuses. You can't make me. Oh, and yeah. then, and whenever she is then in that seat of power, she does the exact same thing to Sansa. Like what? Like, I suffered this way, so thou, you must as well. While also on the other side of the door with Tywin saying that she's not going to do this again. And it's just like, it's so consistent with human history that when someone gets in power, they then do the oppressing that was done upon them prior. Like, it's like it's, it's a rite of passage or something. Like, it's a passing of the torch. Now you get to be the oppressor. I don't know why, but it infuriates me. Uh, well, I know why it infuriates me because it happens right. all the time in the real world. Right. Humans do very poorly with power. And Cersei is the embodiment of that. And we see it way more in Feast for Crows, right? She just loses her. Right. When she's in, when she's in like, power, yeah. No, she's a hot mess. Uh, but man, seeing her do to Sansa what has been done to her in just a few chapters ago, her yelling at Tywin that she would not remarry. You know, it's just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, continuing on here, we'll pull this up here, too. So this is so Cersei continues here and she says, do as you're told, sweetling. It won't be so bad. Wolves are supposed to be brave, aren't they? Oh, brave. Sansa took a deep breath. I'm a Stark. Yes, I can be brave. Uh, they were all looking at her the way they had looked at her the day in the yard when Sir Boris Blunt had torn her clothes off. It had been the imp who saved her from a beating that day. The same man who was waiting for her now. He's not as bad as the rest of them, she told herself. I'll go. Which is like, man, and there's another there's another moment that like I would love, I would just would love the like the pull the op George needs to finish so I can so he can rewrite the books, but in the other person's point of point of view. Cause I would just love <laughs> yeah. like what you know, like what would is like Tyrion thinking the same thing? You know, like here I stood that one time trying to save her and that because that's a and that also also is an interesting interesting decision too that they decide to marry Tyrion to Sansa mm -hmm. um because we know that Jamie's doesn't doesn't necessarily get kicked out of the King's guard but they're gonna they kind of toss around the idea of yep. letting him marry in in the King's guard and everything so why not actually marry Jamie to Sansa? That seems to me like it would have been the that of course, you know, Cersei would freak out, but that would have been an interesting, interesting route to go because now you're gonna you've already kind of just you're already kind of disgracing the Starks because mm -hmm. they're traitors and you're calling them traitors and everything. And you said Sansa's not a fit to marry Joffrey. Um, and now you're gonna marry Tyrion, the imp, the one who everyone looks down on in the realm, to Winterfell to help like get the claim to Winterfell. It seems like you would want that to be like a stronger claim that people can rally behind. But now you have like the imp who people don't like and a traitor 
in well, Sansa. it's disgracing the North on purpose. They still have claim on it, but like, look how the North has fallen. The Starks, you know, now are ran by a traitor. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean. And also, they get the point and say, "Look how gracious we are." Okay, yeah. Like, look how accepting we are of this dwarf, and also how accepting we are. We forget we're we're wonderful people. It's actually almost a theatrical display of mercy after the heinous execution of Ned Stark that definitely damaged them in the realm, I think. So, you know, this is, this is classical political maneuvering from the Lannisters. Just, Oh man. Yeah. Well, here we go. Uh, continuing on here. This is another Sansa kind of standing up for herself moment here where Joffrey is standing there. Jo Joffrey was waiting for her on the steps of the castle step. The king was in crimson and gold, his crown on his head. I'm your father today, he announced. No, you're not, she flared. You'll never be. His face darkened. I am. I'm your father, and I can marry you to whoever you like, to anyone. You'll marry the pig boy, if I say so, and bed down with him in the sty. His green eyes glittered with amusement, or maybe I should give you to Ilan Payne. Um, would you like him better? And then, you know, she backs down again. Please, your grace, she begged. If you ever love me even a little bit, don't make me marry your uncle. Tyrion Lannister stepped through the door of the step. Your grace, he said to Joffrey, grant me a moment alone with Lady Sansa, if you would be so kind. So, you know, then Tyrion, he has the gash across his face. You are very beautiful, Sansa, he told her. Tyrion is actually very good to, to, to Sansa for the short little time that they are they are married yeah. i mean for he has some creepy part. thoughts he has some <laughs> well i mean he does he does marry her and you know the way things work in this world he kind of it's, it's you know i mean it, well it is, it, a it is reason for this and it's the direct contrast of Tyrion and penny penny all oh, the the door the, and also uh not not just Tyrion and Penny, but Tyrion in the in the prostitute in book five, where mm -hmm. she is clearly not engaged with what's going on and he continues to do it. Where here he shows restraint, even though he has temptations, he restrains himself here. Later on, his character has fallen quite a far. And he uh I would say goes with someone who's very unwilling. And that is a direct contrast. From Tyrion that we see pre a Storm of Swords ending and post a Storm of Swords ending. And it seems like Tyrion is becoming a villain later in the series. So we're seeing him at maybe his most heroic from Blackwater to now showing that he has restraint until obviously the trial. He does also threaten the king. So there's not a little bit of restraint there <laughs> with a knife on the, you know, with, with a knife on the table. Pretty here. awesome. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's a moment, though, here, right here. So the bride's cloak he held was huge and heavy. Crimson velvet richly worked with lions uh, and gold. No one had thought to bring a stool, however, and Tyrion stood a half a foot shorter than his bride. As he moved behind her, Sansa felt a sharp tug on her skirt. He wants me to kneel, she realized, blushing. She was mortified. It was not supposed to be this way. She had dreamt of her wedding, you know, a thousand times. All of these things, you know, she's like a kiss and all of these things. She has another tug on her skirt, more insistent. I won't. Why should I spare his feelings when no one cares about mine? He tugs a third time stubbornly. Uh, she pressed her lips uh, together and pretended not to notice, um, you know, but uh, she doesn't kneel. Dude, this this is a brutal. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's also I mean, that's a big moment for her, too, is that she she refuses to kneel. It's not only a big moment there, but it's also brutal for Tyrion because he is yeah. embarrassed as well. I mean, this is awful. And these are the little details. Like people talk about like a lot of the abuse in the Song of Ice and Fire and the violence and the death. But I have found always the some of the hardest hitting moments aside from the Red Wedding that these little deaths that were dying with these characters are way way worse i mean could you imagine how embarrassed both feel at the moment they're trying to hang on to any semblance of pride they may have Tyrion doesn't want to force her down he's asking her by tugging he's saying please come down will you please get down here so i don't look so ridiculous and she's thinking i refuse because that's the last line of self you know confidence that i have it's just George is so good at this stuff. He's also amazing at destroying expectations. Obviously, Sansa has imagined her wedding as she imagined knights and kings and princes and traveling to the capital, all being destroyed from this POV. 
also on top of this, we see the Tyrells and what they think is going to happen with Joffrey and Loris is going to protect me and this and that. And how does any of those expectations go for these characters? It doesn't work out at all. Does it to yeah. having to poison Joffrey? Uh, this is, this is the best parts of a song of ice and fire, or maybe I should say the hardest hitting. Yeah, there's um, uh, as we continue on just a little bit here. So this is when they start, they start dancing. Um, you know, Tyrion's like, I think we've already given them enough, you know, amusement for the day. As you say, my lord, she pulled her hand back. Joffrey and Marjorie led in their place. How can a monster dance so beautifully? Sansa wondered. Uh, she's watching Joffrey and Marjorie dance. And it kind of gave me a little like Beauty and the Beast imagery. Yeah, um, right. Oh, definitely. Is that it's it's Joffrey and Marjorie who are both, you know, beautiful, uh, you know, I guess, yeah. um, you know, to, to the realm. And then here you have like Sansa and Tyrion uh, who the realm could look both at beasts right you know yes. Tyrion obviously is the imp and is now his nose has been cut um and then of course you know Sansa they view as a traitor and and all of those things so it's kind of given me like a, a a little bit of that um you know she looks at all this stuff and she she thinks in her dreams they'd all been smiling not even my husband is smiling so yeah I mean, fantasy is always pulled a lot from fairy tales, myths, all, all these things. And George is of no exception. I think he plays with Prince Charming quite a bit with Rhaegar. And then you have these kind of things with Beauty and the Beast, which is actually explored multiple times through Sansa, because you also have Sansa and the Hound uh, as well. And fun fact, which we I've probably said a million times here on the podcast, uh, George worked on Beauty and the Beast back in the day, and he worked on it with the narrator of the Song of Ice and Fire books, Roy Detroit's Detroit's. Detrice, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it is Detrice. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just call him a good old Roy. Rest in peace. Well, he struggles pronouncing things to say correctly in all the audiobooks. Hey, so. man, he's dead. Show some respect, would you? Well, I'm just saying. Okay. My God. He's also a pyromancer in the, <laughs> he is uh, a pyromancer in the Game of Thrones show. So George is very in tune with Beauty and the Beast. He has probably thought about it from different angles. And without a doubt, this is, you know, a play on that. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll just continue on here a little bit here. So as this is going on, Sansa sits with her hands in her lap, watching you know the queen moving. She charms them all. How I hate her! You know she looks to where Moon Boy is dancing with Dantos. Um, again, Moon Boy. You want to follow the Moon Boy trend? Moon oh Boy Cersei God. trend. Moon Boy is mentioned almost every time. Get it's always. It's always. It is always immediately following cersei that's just, so ridiculous it's it's always in proximity of cersei I'm what are you saying. suggesting sir i think osmond kettleblack and he probably even moon boy too you think moon boy clapped in uh, cheeks i do i that is <laughs> preposterous my friend well hey that's the queen lancel who shooks up with her cousin yeah but at least he you know he's knightly kind of right uh, not, <laughs> moon boy we don't know, man. We don't. <laughs> so anyway, Tyrion says, you know, my lady can dance with whoever she pleases. Perhaps she ought to have remained beside her husband, but she wanted to dance so badly. And Sir Garland was brother to Marjorie, to Willis, the Knight of Flowers. Um, I see why you name him Sir Garland the Gallant. So she's looking at all these other people she'd rather be with, you know, and, and Tyrion keeps saying things, you know, like my lady wife is this and, um, uh, you know, all of these things. So. It kind of continues on uh, a little bit here, and I want to get to um, really where things kind of take a turn for the worse. As right? they usually do. Yeah, so here we go. So um, basically, then the dance brought her face to face with Joffrey. Sansa stiffened as his hand touched hers, but the king tightly tightened his grip and drew her closer. You shouldn't look so sad. My uncle is ugly is an ugly little thing, but you'll still have me. You're to marry Marjorie. A king can have other women. Whores. My father did. One of the Aegons did too. The third or the fourth. He had lots of them. Um, and then the and the world, as they rolled to the music, Joffrey gave her a kiss. My uncle will bring you to my bed whenever I command it. Sansa shakes her head. He won't. He will or I'll have his head. Um, so, that, you know, it kind of continues on just a little bit here. Um, his relief was short-lived. No sooner had the music died than she heard Joffrey say, it's time to bed them. Let's get the clothes off her and have a look at what the she-wolf's got to give my uncle. Um, she says, I'll have no bedding. You will if I command it. The imp slammed his dagger down in the table. 
where it stood quivering. Then you'll serve your own bride with a wooden prick. I'll geld you. I swear it. Let's go. Yeah. Tyrion, Tyrion might be her true knight in shining armor. And bigger, I, and, than, bigger than he seems. Now, remember, this is the person that she had just dishonored. I shouldn't say dishonored, but kind of disrespected by not taking the knee, right? Right. How do you think that makes Sansa feel, you know, uh, be, being who she is? This is a person who basically just said he'll cut off the king's manhood yeah. in her name. I mean, crazy. Yeah. And then Tywin stands up immediately. I believe we can dispense with the betting, Tyrion. I'm certain you did not mean to threaten the king's royal person. <laughs> you know, royal I missed. Person. I know. I misspoke. He said it was a bad jape. Uh, and then literally, this is another one of these power plays, too, where really you can, you know, while it doesn't show it, obviously, the scene in the show, because you can see the th everybody really kind of looks to to Taiwan <laughs> to see like what what he thinks. <laughs> and of course, it's so it's so good in the show. I mean, Charles Dance as Tywin Lannister ha has to be. If, is it the best casting of the entire show? Yes, but I mean, there's I, so many. I, right. I'm partial to Mark Addy. <laughs> clearly right i mean there's so uh, many that are great but i mean wow it's yeah it's so good yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. so so good <laughs> um of course so you know it continues on here my son is drunk you can see that i am he confessed but not so drunk that i can attend to my own bedding uh come with me my wife time to smash your portcullis i want to play come into the castle and he's <laughs> yes. trying to you know make up for it by oh i'm the imp i'm stupid i'm drunk um you know which does work right obviously yeah. this this scene does kind of you know, you know working out for they get out of that situation uh then they go upstairs and it's sort of incredibly awkward you know obviously sansa is scared and frightened and Tyrion's kind of like uh what do i you know like what do i do <laughs> you know kind of thing and he just drinks and it ultimately ends with Tyrion. I mean, she tells him the story of Taisha a little bit. Um, he doesn't go into the full details of it, but certainly mentions her name. And maybe that is why Tyrion actually says you, you never have to do it. Cause he certainly could have been like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna do it. Yeah. But is also, it, is it, is it, is it bringing up Taisha maybe that causes Tyrion to actually just their common their common thread between them is that they have both been victimized by the Lannister family. Tyrion happens to be a part of that family, but he has been victimized by his father. Sansa has been victimized in many, many different ways, but there's a whole third part of this that we haven't really talked about. And that's that Shay is upset about this. Yeah, that's true. She's there. Uh, she's going to be the handmaiden for Sansa. There's all this. And Tyrion is also weighing that. My question would be, would Tyrion have been restrained and done this and not done this had Shay not been in the picture? Ooh, that's a good question. I I don't know. I still I think part of it is the fact that he was he did almost just threaten to kill Joffrey. And so he's still like very upset with his family. <laughs> yeah. If if they had been married if they had been married by Tywin while Tyrion was still hand of the king and not like betrayed and had his nose cut off and things mm -hmm. like that, maybe it would have been, you know, certainly before, like if this, if this had happened before, like a game of Thrones essentially started yeah. and every, all hell broke loose. Yeah. That would have been, that certainly would have been a different scenario for Tyrion, but I think it's just really, it's like, he's, it's the right positioning at the right time mm -hmm. for Sansa that Tyrion is where he is, uh, you know, emotionally and, and mentally. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately we know what ends up happening is, I mean, the Tyrion does kind of tell, you know, he's like, Hey, he's like, when the lights are off, I'm like the knight of the flowers. Okay. I mean, so he does still kind of <laughs> throw it out there to say, because, you know, they probably both think we're about to be married forever. Yeah. And it's a terrible feeling to not, you know, the person that's married to you uh, clearly doesn't want to be married to you. I and mean, you're in this awkward right. position where you you're expected to do this. Uh, I the whole thing's awkward. The whole the whole the whole thing is awkward. And then ultimately he ends up, uh, you know, not doing it right. And if I never want you to touch my Lord, um, his mouth jerked as if she had slapped him. Never. Uh, 
Why? That's why the god made whores for imp like me. imps like me. He closed his short fingers into a fist and climbed down off the bed. So obviously he is upset by by the by the situation, because um, he's probably never been in that situation. I don't know. I mean, it's it's the whole thing. The whole thing is awkward. But the crazy part about it, and it's actually one of the things I liked a little bit about season eight, is that when like Sans and Tyrion get like kind of see each other again, and they're in the crypt. Um, is that Sans and Tyrion, like for as a marriage alliance, not romantically, but would make one of the best power couples in all of Westeros. I mean, by they would the have, end, yeah, by, by the, the end, by yeah. the end, they would be like a, an absolute force to be reckoned with because they would be, they would be able to like politically maneuver any scenario. Yeah, and that's that's the question, right? It's like, do you in this world, it's more favorable probably to marry for power than it is love, all right? Right, but they're they're kind I, of the the opposite you, of that, right? So we know Sansa would be fine with Tyrion whoring around as long, you know. Um, Are we certainly? I think so because then she then he wouldn't touch her. But do you think Tyrion would have would be fine with Sansa sleeping with other people? I don't know. Are we are we are we pondering whether they're swingers or not? Is that what we're doing? No, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, is it possible their their marriage could like in a non, you know, crazy. Yeah, just for the apocalyptic war coming. Could they have made it? Could they have made it work? I I don't think think I don't think Terry can do it. I think Tyrion wants to be loved and and be with the person he loves. I think Tyrion struggles greatly with this with Shay. I mean, look at what he's. I mean, so if you were to talk about someone being stupid, do you think they could have? Do you think they could have made an arrangement where they said, like, politically we'll be together, but we'll sleep with whoever? I don't. I don't think. I think Tyrion wants, just like Jaime and Cersei. Also, a a lot of the romance in this series are people hiding their true feelings and just dying to make it known. Ned Stark, for most likely what was a Shara Dane, uh, comes to Mm -hmm. mind. Rob Stark actually picks love over power and dies for it. Right. You, see, you see what I mean? So I think Tyrion is is at times maybe even a hero because he is taking these what you could consider to be pretty boneheaded risks for Shay, who ends up tearing his heart out of his chest. Right. But I think he he wouldn't be doing all these dumb things to hide Shay if he didn't ultimately just want to be with her alone. You know? Yeah. So. um yeah, I mean, what I, again? This is I, we, this is something I talked about at the beginning, and I, I brought up a couple of times. Is I would just love to see this chapter through Tyrion's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, we we I think we do. He does a good job of George does a great job of giving. Like you can see, obviously, the anger in Tyrion's eyes. You can tell he's, you know, he's yeah. embarrassed when he is and stuff like that. But it's just one of those POVs that, like most POVs. You never really need the other person's point of view, but man, this is just one of those Tyrion ones that would just be so interesting to see it from his, mm-hmm. from his, his perspective. Because also think about like, there's so much, there's so much you could have, you could do with like Shay, like yeah. Tyrion, Tyrion being married, and I'm sure Shay is in attendance. It's mm-hmm. not mentioned, but I'm sure she's there. Yeah, I feel as if this is one of the reasons why George has is a really tough time writing these books because so many POVs intertwine. And then he probably writes, I, I imagine George writes them from both POVs and then decides and which decides. one's the better one to go with. On the flip side of this, I think it's so impressive what we can extrapolate from Tyrion's reactions in these in this scenario. And that is a big way of doing show, not tell. He is showing Tyrion's feelings through his outrage, his outburst, the way he drops his face—that is the hallmark of a, of a pretty good writer, in my opinion. That if you told me about this chapter and you didn't tell me what POV it was from and how much information we got from Tyrion here, from him showing us through Sansa's eyes, I would wonder who was the POV. Was it Sansa or Tyrion? So, in some ways, even though we don't have the Tyrion POV, I think he did a great job of rounding it out for us to be able to kind of draw conclusions yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay all right guys well hey that is our chapter for this week so with that we want to thank you for playing the game of thrones our next episode we will be discussing a storm of swords aria 5
And if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at vtkcast at gmail.com or bendthekneepodcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember that winter is coming.